0: Father, we come into your presence this morning and we are, uh, we are in desperate need of you, Lord. We are hungry, Lord. Please uh, continue to give us a deep hunger for you. I pray right now that you would uh, quiet our hearts, that you would allow us to be fully present, Lord, that you would allow us to give all the things that we're thinking about, whether it's um, how different this feels or uh, what is happening at our house or what is happening tomorrow at work, Father would you just bring those things to mind and then allow us to just give them to you and be fully present to receive from you, you promise to meet with us here, you promise to give us more of yourself, you promise not to leave us unchanged, you promise to bear fruit and so Lord we just collectively yield our lives, our souls to you and we ask you to do whatever you want in us do whatever you want through us, and Lord, use your word as you promised to, use this gathering of people, Lord, the singing, uh, the preaching of your word, Lord, I pray that uh, you just give us ears to hear uh, and eyes to see and an open heart for you, in Jesus' name, amen. Hey, morning, y'all can have a seat. Um, so we are, I'm, I'm Matt Avery, I'm one of the pastors here at Midtown, and uh, I'm also really glad y'all are here, and uh, glad for all the the Midtown Westers who are worshiping at home. If y'all didn't know that, that's our new congregation is Midtown West, so really excited about that. Um, We are continuing our series on the priesthood of all believers, and I'm going to tell you a little bit more about that as we get into the sermon, but um, it's been so cool. I've been so encouraged um, that we're doing this series, because I think it's just very timely. I believe that the Lord has led us to this series and, uh, and now we're seeing fruit of it. I'm going to tell you all a little bit about that fruit later, but uh, we have been kind of working with this definition uh, that what is it to be a priest? I mean, God calls his people priests starting in Exodus, uh, but really Adam and Eve were priests in the garden, and then Peter references the people of God as a kingdom of priests, and so from, from beginning to end, and, and even now, all of us as God's people are a kingdom of priests, and we, we bring in a lot of baggage with the word priest, depending on, especially on our upbringing. But uh, the working definition that we are using for what it is to be a priest, uh, the way that God intends it, um, is someone who is close to God and invites other people into that closeness. So someone who is close to God and invites other people into that closeness. And uh, before we get to our passage today, I need to read a a different passage for us that's going to set the stage. And I'm going to be in Matthew 27, 50 to 53. This is Jesus, our Savior, his last moments of his His life on this earth on the cross. And then what happens after this? It says, And Jesus cried out again with a loud voice and yielded up his spirit. And behold, behold, Anytime you see that word behold, is like the author is saying, like you really need to pay attention because what I'm about to tell you is amazing. And behold, the curtain of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom. And the earth shook and the rocks were split. The tombs also were opened and many bodies of the saints who had fallen asleep were raised. And coming out of the tombs, after his resurrection, they went into the holy city, Jerusalem... And appeared to many people okay that's amazing but here's here's the part that I want us to pay attention to is the most amazing thing to Matthew who is a Jew who is writing to a Jewish audience the first thing he lists when he says behold is not that dead people got out of their graves and went back into town to see their family members it's that the curtain was torn in two from top to bottom. That's the first thing that he wants us to know. And so why? What, what was such a big deal about the curtain being torn in two that he would list that before he gets to a bunch of dead people coming back to life and going and saying hey to all their friends that they've been <laughs> missing since they've been underground? And it has everything to do. Why, you know, The next question would be why would we care? Well, it, because it has everything to do with our life and our work and our existence as a kingdom of priests. And so that's where we're going this morning is, uh, is looking at this passage from Hebrews 9 11 through 14 um, to help us understand a little bit more about what it means to be a kingdom of priests and how we, we live and move and work in this world. And so, three things we're going to look at this morning. First is uh, a picture and a preview. The second is free and clear, and the third is uh, meeting in the most holy place, and so I'm going to read our passage for us, and you have to forgive me. I've, I've got the ESV, which is just a slightly better translation than NIV. I'm just kidding. It's not, um, but it, here's our passage for us this morning. But when Christ appeared as a high priest of the good things that have come, who through the eternal spirit offered himself without blemish to God, purify our conscience from dead works to serve the living God. And so first, uh, picture and a preview. Um, what, what we see here in this passage, especially uh, verses 11 and 12, um, we need a little background, a little Old Testament background. So after Adam and Eve leave the garden, God sends them out of the garden and says, you're no longer allowed to be here, and he sets up, Uh, cherubim, which are these very fearsome-looking angels who have flaming swords, and they're guarding the way back into the garden. And this is actually a huge gift to us. This is a huge gift to Adam and Eve because uh, when we are in our sin, uh, to be in God's special presence like that would totally destroy us. And so God was doing a great mercy by keeping his people out of the garden, out of the, the first temple where his presence dwelt in a very special way. And so then he sets up this sacrificial system uh, with, with the priests and the sacrifices. And the, first, it's the tabernacle. It's this moving temple. It's a tent. It's made out of cloth. And then it eventually, at some point in the Old Testament story, uh, there's a temple, and it's built in stone. But it's the same, it's the same layout uh, as in, in both places. And here's what it is. It's this, it's this uh, room that is actually two rooms divided by a big curtain, okay? Okay. And this is the curtain that we just heard about in in, uh, the Gospel of Matthew. And in the the first part of the temple was uh, the holy place. And this is where the priests, the Levitical priests, would go in and do their service to God on a regular basis. And then behind the curtain was called the most holy place. And this place, only the high priest could enter, and he could only enter once a year. And so in these places, and and now we'll focus kind of on the most holy place, and the, the day of atonement, that's the day that the high priest can go in. He has to go in with blood. He has to go in with the blood of animals because blood was necessary for man to be in God's special presence and not be totally destroyed. And so he goes in on behalf of himself and on behalf of the people of God with blood into the most holy place once a year, In order to meet with God and and have God deal with the sins of his people. And so this would happen year after year after year. And so we have this, um, the tent and the curtain. And on the curtain, by the way, uh, God commanded when he was telling how he wanted his people to set up all of this stuff. um, He said, on the curtain, I want you to embroider cherubim with flaming swords. Because this was pointing back to the garden. Because this place behind this curtain is the most holy place. This is where my presence, God is everywhere, right? But he dwells in a special way uh, in this most holy place. And it is guarded, just like it was in the garden, it's guarded on this curtain symbolically by this cherubim with flaming swords. And so um, Hebrews 8, 5 says that these things, the priests going in with the blood, the blood, the sacrifices, the temple, the curtain, all of this, all of these things serve only as a copy and a shadow of the heavenly things. So what does that mean? It means that the tent and the sacrificial system and all of this was just a physical picture and a preview to help us understand spiritual realities in this heavenly realm. There is, a, there is a realm. We live in this physical, material world. There is a heavenly realm that is equally and more real. Um, and, and what the author of Hebrews is saying here is that all of this stuff that God had set up under this old covenant in the Old Testament was just a physical picture to help us understand that there's something that we cannot see that is real, that is happening Um, that that we need to be connected with, that we need help understanding in some way. It's like uh, marriage. It's like, I mean, why we, you know, the way that we understand marriage as God has given it to people is it is a picture and a preview in in just the same way that this Old Testament sacrificial system was. Um, Because what is marriage? Marriage is a picture of Jesus marrying himself to his people forever, giving himself to us us giving ourselves as the bride back to Him and His eternal commitment to us that He's never going to leave us. He's never going to forsake us. And we are standing, uh, we the bride are standing in a white gown to, to symbolize that His blood has washed us clean. And so even marriage is a picture like this and it's a preview of coming attractions when Jesus is going to come and marry Himself to us forever. We're going to live with Him in eternity. We're going to see Him face to face. Um, it's like... Um, Civil War reenactments, right? Instead of instead of pointing back to a battle that happened a long time ago, I don't know if any of y'all are into Civil War reenactments. That would surprise me if anybody was. Um, but it's pointing to the real thing, but with no power, right? You go watch a Civil War reenactment, you know that nobody's going to die. You know that nothing dangerous is going to happen. It's just a bunch of guys in costumes running around. I'm sorry if that's offending anybody here. But they're just reenacting something that is not real. It doesn't have any power. The outcome of what happens there is not going to influence history at all. But if we were there at a Civil War reenactment and all of a sudden real cannons started firing and real bullets started flying and there was blood and there was smoke and there was screaming, um, we would know that we were in the presence of something real. And it would feel very different. And so that's what's happening in this passage. Look back at at verse 11, it says, when Christ appeared as high priest of the good things that have come, he entered once for all into the holy places. So it's like we're just in awe as we're reenacting this thing that God's given us to help give us a picture and a preview, and then all of a sudden Jesus really comes into the real holy place in the heavenly realm. And it's like our jaws just hit the floor as we see our Savior walking into this tent that was made without hands with his own blood. And it's this powerful picture pointing forward to this moment uh, where Jesus enters by his own blood and, and takes away our sin. The true throne of God is not and never was sitting in this physical place, this most holy place in the tabernacle or the temple. The real throne of God isn't up there. <laughs> it's everywhere. This heavenly realm is everywhere. It's touching earth. It's, it's moving in and around this physical, material reality, but we can't always see it. We don't always know what's happening, but God's throne, God is enthroned in this heavenly realm. And, and whether we know it or not, whether we put two and two together, we are so desperately hungry for this heavenly realm. Um, it is the more that we are always searching for. Uh, if you just wanna look at the, the movies and the stories that we're obsessed with, um, that'll give you a little window into our soul's longing for this connection with this heavenly realm. Harry Potter, Star Wars, Stranger Things, um, any Christopher Nolan movie that's bending time and space and talking about other dimensions. Um, We are starved for this because we were made for this. We were made for this physical realm and this heavenly realm to touch. And this place where there is union between those realms is is all that our souls are longing for because it's really union with God that we're looking for. And what Jesus did reveals that the heavenly realm is here. What Jesus did on the cross reveals that this heavenly realm is not up here and not somewhere far, far away. It's it's here, it's married to this physical world that we live in. It's a mystery. We don't know exactly how it all fits together, but think about it. A very real physical Jesus, a man like you and I, was hung on a cross and very real blood flowed out of his veins. And when he died and his blood was shed, something very real in the heavenly realm was altered, was changed, was transformed, and so something that happened in this physical world completely changed these heavenly realities for those who are now in Christ and made this new way possible. That's amazing we really stop and just meditate on that, that this, this heavenly realm is not so far away. It's right here. It's here. It's everywhere, and what did he do at the end of verse 12, he, he secured forever an eternal redemption. That word redemption is like a freeing of slaves. He has secured an eternal redemption for his people for all time, for all people who would call on the name of Jesus, no matter who you are, no matter where you've been, no matter where you're from. The work of Jesus on the cross is sufficient and a finished work to secure your and my eternal redemption The prison doors are open forever and they're blown apart. Liberation, freedom. And so now that he has secured this eternal redemption for us, um, our next two points are are looking at uh, these two two aspects of this eternal redemption, this freedom from and freedom for. And so first, this freedom from, uh, calling it free and clear, our second point here. Uh, Verses 13 and 14, it says, For if the blood of goats and bulls and the sprinkling of defiled persons with the ashes of a heifer sanctify for the purification of the flesh, how much more will the blood of Christ, who through the eternal spirit offered himself without blemish to God, purify our conscience from dead works? So this is the the freedom from aspect, the purifying our conscience from dead works. Uh, Jesus has purified our conscience. What does that mean? What does it mean to purify? It means Um, in the way that the author of Hebrews is talking about it means to cleanse, to heal, and to make ritually clean also. You would go, if you were defiled in some way, you would go to the Old Testament priests and you would show him that God had healed you and then he would pronounce you clean. And so what, what the author of Hebrews is saying here is that in a much deeper, more spiritual way, Jesus has done that not just for our flesh, that we're cured of leprosy, or some other condition but he's done this for the leprosy of our heart that internally it's penetrated into our consciences what he has done and he has cleansed and purified and healed our conscience our conscience is that inner voice that of moral knowledge of right and wrong it's the place that's concerned primarily with peace with God our conscience is the place that is obsessed with peace with God. It brings a sense of guilt when we violate our conscience. And that produces fear about entering into God's presence. And so, because we are violating our consciences all the time, um, our consciences are working on hyperdrive, and we're reacting to our consciences on hyperdrive, and we're doing all sorts of weird and warped And obsessive things to try to quiet the voice in our our inner being (laughs) because we know that apart from Jesus we don't have peace with God and it is undoing us all the time and it spins us out into all these crazy places where we go looking for life and looking for cleanliness and purification on our own apart from God it says that our consciences are producing dead works in our lives all the time and and there's there's two kinds of dead works that that we're talking about here there's the kind of dead works um, that's all the stuff that we do and we think and try to make ourselves clean before God these works of trying to clean ourselves up and those works are dead because they don't have the power to clean us up so whatever we do whatever you and I do because it's the right thing to do or it's good or we're trying to make sure that we know and everyone knows and we're trying to convince everybody, including ourselves, that we're a good person. All of that is garbage. It's dead. It doesn't doesn't have any power. You will never become a good person by doing good works. But also, we're talking about the dead works, all that we do to avoid meeting God. (laughs) Like if we've tried the first kind of dead works, and we try to make ourselves right, and we try to be good, and we try to follow this law, whether it's God's law or our own law, our own little version or our culture's version of what it means to be a good person, and, and we're going to, whatever law we choose, we're going to violate it. We can't keep it. Even if you made up your own personal law, you're going to violate that because that's just where we are. That's just how we are. So when we violate our law or someone's law enough and we get tired of trying to work our way into cleanliness, then the next step is to try to just plug our ears and try to do anything we can to hide and get away from the voice of God and run and numb out. So it's all the stuff that we do avoiding meeting God in our minds and in our lives. It's sex, drugs, and rock and roll. It's just It's creating other gods. It's whatever you want, but it's trying desperately to kill that voice in your mind, your conscience It's telling you that you are not okay. You do not have peace with God. It's doing whatever I can to erase that. And so we've got to stop and, and reflect on our lives at this point. Look at the way that we live and the things that we busy ourselves with doing. Are we Are we busy with so much activity that we we think we're living life that the sum of all that I'm doing on a daily, weekly basis is is actual life? But maybe it's not. Maybe it's just the, the gumming up of our minds and our souls with all these dead works. Maybe we're busy with dead works and we think that that's life. Maybe we're busy trying to be good and religious because I need to have a righteousness of my own. Maybe I'm busy trying to make another person or something else my functional God so that I can try to serve that and stop thinking about the real God. Maybe it's trying to acquire wealth and power and knowledge and status because maybe I'm the new God that I'm trying to serve, and I'm trying to make myself more powerful to make myself a more formidable God. Or maybe it's just sexual promiscuity and just numbing out any way I can find because I'm just trying to quiet those voices. But none of those things are life. All of that is just the dead works of a, of a conscience that is violated, um, that is keeping our minds and our hearts spinning, but that's not life. And so Jesus has come and he has healed our conscience. We can turn off the wheels. We don't have to keep spinning like this because Jesus has come and he has cleansed us and he has healed us from all of our dead works. All that stuff can just fall down now. And now we have this freedom. Freedom from a violated conscience and all these dead works. When, when I want to condemn myself, when you want to condemn yourself, just preach the gospel to yourself. Jesus has already dealt with that. Whatever I just did or said or thought, that is tempting me to despair, Jesus has already dealt with that. Thank God that I have a savior who has freed me and I don't have to be in chain anymore to my own sin and the effects of them. We are free. It's like um, the way that we live when we're in Christ and yet still trying to make ourselves righteous, it's like a, a college kid who's going home for Thanksgiving and, like, their mom is this is amazing cook, and she's made everything. She's prepared the turkey and all the sides and all the desserts. And the, their home is this warm and, and loving and beautiful place of rest. But the college student is convinced that they need to, like, make their own food and bring their own sides so that they can have something to show up with. And so they're, like, going and buying stuff from, from restaurant takeout, and they're, you know, trying to make stuff. But it's, like, none of it's as good. None of it's going to be good. Uh, and they're waiting in line, and they're spending all this time, and all this money, and all this effort, and they show up halfway through Thanksgiving dinner, because they're late for all the stuff that they've been trying to do, and they just miss the whole thing, and it's a waste, because they didn't need to do anything to begin with, and anything that they do is not going to add to Thanksgiving dinner. It's just going to make it worse, right? They just need to stop everything, and just go home, and just eat, and enjoy. The Thanksgiving dinner is already made. That's what we need to do. <laughs> Instead of w- being in our minds on this hyper-analysis of, are, am I okay and what am I going to do? Um, it's already done. Just go and be with God. And that, that gets us to our third point. is We talk about freedom from uh, a violated conscience of dead works. What do we have freedom for now? What has Jesus secured us as, as a kingdom of priests to have freedom for? It's to serve the living God. And, and when you hear that, serve the living God, if you're like me, it, it makes me think of like community service. Like, and that's not very exciting. I'm free now to go volunteer at the soup kitchen or go, you know, do whatever, fill in the blank. That's not the kind of service we're talking about here. Remember, we're using this priestly language, these priestly pictures. What it means to serve the living God is to actually serve God as a priest. He's painting a picture back under the Old Covenant, the Old Testament of that high priest going into the most holy place and spending time with God in the most holy place. That's what he's talking about here. That makes me a lot more excited than about going and doing some community service. We are now free to meet with God in the most holy place all the time, this touching of the heavenly realm and this mingling of the heavenly realm and the physical realm, this union, because it's in us because we are now the most holy place. We soak in the love of God for us in this most holy place and then that love flows out of us. You know, a lot of times we think about the abundance of God's love uh, is this picture of a cup that needs to be filled before it can overflow. And I read this guy Robert Mulholland had a book And he said, you know, actually, I think that's a bad illustration because then it gets us stuck in this place where we feel like we're mostly empty most of the time, and unless we go on like a a five-week retreat, then we can't get filled up till we're overflowing again. Really what it's more like is just a, a cylinder that's open all the time, and the love of God is flowing through us like a current all the time into the lives of other people. It never has to get full first before I can do something. We don't ever have these long extended periods of not being full where nothing can happen. We are always just open to the love of God and it is flowing through us fully. It is filling the pipe and flowing out into the world into the lives of the people that we are surrounded by. Just a, a couple places, uh, it would be great places to meditate on this week. Second Corinthians 5.14, the love of Christ controls us. We are now controlled by the love of Christ. Romans 8, 39, nothing can ever separate us from this love, the love of Christ. In Ephesians three nineteen, Paul says, this is the mystery that I'm talking about, to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge. I don't mean a, a, an intellectual ascent. To know with everything in you the love of Christ so that you are filled with all the fullness of God. That's what we're talking about here. We are all priests with infinite access to God at all times. And something really cool that I learned uh, last couple weeks as we've been in this series is that the Old Testament priests, when you look back at uh, God had very particular way that he wanted them to dress, the robes that they had to wear, the priestly garments when they went into the holy place and the most holy place, the clothes that they wore uh, were colors of uh, scarlet and purple and blue, and those were the same colors that the curtain was made out of and that the tabernacle was made out of and so there's this picture that God wanted to create through what the priests wore that when they enter they put on these new clothes and go into this heavenly place Um, there's a blending of the priest and this heavenly realm where it's like you can't even tell them apart anymore and now even more so we are clothed with the righteousness of Jesus his blood covers us and we are always clothed in the robes that he has eternally washed white for us. And so we are always able to go into this most holy place and meet with God and serve him there uh, and be blended in this union of heavenly and physical realities like we were made to be. 1 Corinthians 3.16, Do you not know that you are God's temple and that God's spirit dwells in you? That means that we now have a mobile temple. There's no more walls. This is like the food truck version of the temple. Anywhere you and I go is where the most holy place is. The most grittiest street, the most grittiest life. Anywhere, there's no place that's off limits. And something I wanna say specifically to Midtown West for our folks in our home church, but also to all of you here, is um, we've been having our leadership meetings for Midtown West with our small group leaders and I've been calling our home church hosts. And guess what? Some really amazing things are happening. Um, this season, it's like if the church was this big bucket of water, that, a, a giant bucket of water can't get into all these nooks and crannies. But there's a lot of very small spaces now. that it's like as we've been sent out and spread apart, God is just dumping this bucket of water out into all these tiny dry places. And so many people who either do not know the Lord or have been away from the Lord for a very long time and do not have a church home are worshiping in home churches right now. And they're coming and being a part of small groups right now because God is doing something in this season. It is a very strange, upsetting time. And thank God for that because he's using that to upend our hearts and make us think about things differently. And so now he's creating this hunger for more that wasn't there before. And we were laughing the other night at our leadership meeting because we said, whenever Midtown West can gather for the first time, all in the same physical location, there's going to be a lot of people there that we have never seen before. And they're going to look at us and say, I've been a part of Midtown West for a year. And I'm so excited for that. I'm so excited to have to meet all these new people that I didn't know. And so if you're one of those people who is coming in, I want you to recognize a couple of things. One is that we love you and we're glad that you're here and we can't wait to meet you and and have you a part of our bigger community and do life with you. Uh, But two, I want you to recognize what's happening. Whoever your friend is that brought you to small group or home church, um, that's Jesus. Like Jesus is sending this person into your life because he loves you. It's not just that your friend loves you. It's that the God of the universe loves you and is calling you to himself. And so stop and just recognize and appreciate that. I found this uh, part of this poem this week that really spoke to me about our, our lives here, like freedom for serving the living God. This person, Octavius Winslow, I don't know who that is, but talking about us as a kingdom of priests, it said, we priests walk the outer court a while, but live within the veil. We look out and weep at the things in this world that are not Okay. We look in and smile, knowing who God is and knowing what it is to be united with Him, and chant the melting tale. We're just always telling the gospel with our lives and our words everywhere that we go. Uh, This week, I had this time where I was very frustrated with the Lord and just felt like this hunger for more. And just kind of wondering, like, is is this, is the life that I'm experiencing right now all that there is until you come back, Jesus? Because if so, I'm honestly a little disappointed. I love my family. I love this church. I love our friends and community. And everything's good. But, like, my my heart is just hungering for more of this heavenly realm. And at first I was really down and really uh, angry at God. Um, but then, as he walked with me through that, I'm thankful for those feelings, and I worship him for those feelings because he's just deepening a hunger, and he's preparing me for more. And that's what he's doing in all of us, um, and we can always be encouraged in that because he says in Matthew, Jesus himself says Matthew seven seven and eight: Ask, and it will be given to you; seek, and you will find; knock, and it will be open to you. For everyone. Everyone who asks receives, and the one who seeks finds, and to the one who knocks, it will be open. So if you find yourself in a place where you were frustrated, or you were sad, um, or you were even angry for longing for something that doesn't feel like is coming, um, or if you're just curious, or you find it hard to believe that God's going to come and, and meet with you in a special way and give you more of himself, um, those times are never wasted because Jesus Himself tells us. You, everyone who asks, will receive. And so we can be encouraged with that. I can be encouraged in that. Because this, this whole like plumbing the depths of this mystery of the union of heaven and earth, of physical and spiritual, is the only thing worth spending your lives pursuing. It is the only thing. I promise you that. As uh, another, another um, spiritual mother put it, uh, that Jesus's desire to give himself to you, I, that's weird, spiritual mother, you guys are probably like, what does that mean? Um, <laughs> it's, it's about like ancient um, theologians and followers of Jesus being spiritual mothers and fathers. This was a lady who, frankly, I can't pronounce her name, so I didn't want to embarrass myself, so I just said spiritual mother, which made it more confusing, um, but she's French, and she loved Jesus, and she says that his desire to give himself to you is greater than your desire to lay hold of him, always. And that has been very comforting to me this week. And so my call to you, uh, but especially my call to Midtown West is is we're going to be walking this road together, um, is is let's dig in and go on this adventure together to figure out deeper into this mystery, plumbing the depths of what does this mean? Free now to serve the living God together. Um, I need some people to go on this journey with me, so would you come with me? Father, we, uh, we are so hungry for you, but we, we don't ask that you take our hunger away. We ask that you increase it, and we ask that you would keep your, your good word to us to satisfy that hunger. Father, I pray that uh, you would, in this age of distraction, that you would give us the attention we need to uh, sit quietly and become open to your presence. You would give us the courage and the humility we need to love and serve other people and enter into people's lives with your love. And Father, you would give us the endurance that we need to uh, continue down this road uh, even as we come up against hard things. Uh, Lord, thank you that you are the one who invites us to ask and seek and knock, and you are the one who answers all of those requests. Uh, And we pray these things in Jesus' name, amen.